Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, we're going to go right to our guest, who is Attorney Benjamin Crump. And if you haven't heard of Benjamin Crump, you haven't been around the, the world uh, too long, uh, I can say. Attorney Crump, uh, you're involved with a couple of, well, you've been involved with a whole bunch of high-profile cases. But before we came on, you said there's breaking news, and you're going to break it on Urban Forum Northwest. So please break the news, sir. Hey, thank you so much, Mr. Rye. Uh, Haywood is very honored to thank your audience because people heard our plea for help with the Breonna Taylor case. That's the young lady who was executed in Louisville, Kentucky, in her own uh, home when the three Louisville Metropolitan Police officers executed a dangerous, I believe unconstitutional, no-not warrant uh, into her house where she and her boyfriend, Kenny Taylor, was sleeping uh, between 12.30 and 1 o'clock. The police did not identify themselves. They were in plain clothes. Miss uh, Kenny Walker thought that they were being burglarized. They even called 911, Mr. Wright, to give you the frame of reference of what they were thinking, and neither one of them had any criminal history. Neither one of them had ever been arrested. Kenny Walker was a registered gun owner uh, in an effort to protect his castle, to protect his woman and protect their lives. He grabbed his gun. He uh, creeped down the hall as the first officer came through the door uh, in plain clothes. He fired one shot. And when he fired that shot, the police just unloaded from everywhere. They shot 25 to 30 rounds. They shot from the front door. They shot from the side window. They shot from the patio. Uh, they were so reckless shooting into this apartment blindly that the neighbor's apartment uh, had bullets go into that room. There was a five-year-old little white girl in the next room who was sleeping in her apartment. They had a bullet come in her room. And tragically, Haywood, Breonna Taylor's body was mutilated with eight bullet holes while she was in her underwear. And it's so outrageous on so many levels because if you've been watching MSNBC or CNN, you've seen her mother and us talking about her. Everybody says she was just an angel of a person. She was an EMT. She would help first uh, people who were affected by the coronavirus. She was on the front line. And uh, her mother was only worried that she put on her gloves and her uh, protective mask so she wouldn't contract the coronavirus and die uh, as a result of that, never in a million years thinking she would die because police unjustifiably and unnecessarily and recklessly raided her apartment over a botched execution of a no-knock search warrant. And so that happened on March 13th. For two months, her family got no answers. And then uh, we got involved on the case, and I kept saying, if you ran for Maude, which is Ahmad Arbery, who we are working on his case, then you need to stand for Bree because Breonna Taylor lives matter too, and black women lives matter too. And so I'm very proud to announce after 10 days of people uh, sending emails and calls to Louisville uh, Mayor 
that Louisville Metropolitan Police Chief has announced his resignation in the wake of the execution of Breonna Taylor. Senator Rand Paul has come out uh, from across the aisle and said that the no-not warrants should be abolished in the aftermath of the killing of Breonna Taylor and Senator Kamala Harris, the Gabrielle Union, everybody has expressed outrage that this innocent young woman who was doing all the right things was murdered by the people who were supposed to protect and serve her. Now, she was a first responder, right, working at a hospital? She was working at two hospitals. She had two jobs. Yes, sir. Wow. And she and what, is the, what is the, I, I got the text. I got the text on uh, the Louisville uh, police chief announcing his uh, retirement uh, after his. And I got just got that from you, so we're gonna make sure we post that on Facebook so people can see that as well. Uh, what is the status right now of the uh, Ahmaud Arbery uh, situation? We know that took quite a while. Yeah. You got involved and got some other people riled up, and finally two people were arrested uh, two months after. Uh, they killed uh, Arbery, and then with uh, the district attorney and the police sitting on the stuff, where, where, is that, where is that situation right now? Well, we have an update on that, too. We met with the uh, um, FBI today, and uh, they are opening up an investigation into hate crime. Uh, but to give you uh, a summary of that tragedy, Ahmad Arbery was executed in broad daylight on February 26th, I'm sorry, February 23rd, 2020. And it's so tragic because I always put on the record, Mr. Rye, it was not because the police saw the video that they arrested this murderous father and son duo who executed that young man it was because we saw the video. We, the people, saw that video. And once we saw that video, we could not unsee that video of a lynching of a young black man in 2020. And it was because of our outrage once we saw that video that it became a outcry, a great public outcry of not just civil rights leaders, not just Black Lives Matter activists, not just clergy members, not just college students. It was people of goodwill and morals everywhere when they saw that video of this young man literally being lynched in 2020 is when they finally arrested these murderers over 10 weeks later. And we now have our fourth district attorney assigned to this case because the first DA uh, in Brunswick, Georgia, Jackie Johnson, it has been alleged that she instructed the police to not file charges against uh, Gregory McMichaels and his son because, as you all know, Gregory McMichaels was a former detective in the district attorney's office for over 30 years. On top of that, the second district attorney, Barnhill, he had a conflict of interest as well. He's from the neighboring county of Waycross, Georgia, and he recused himself. But even though he recused himself because he said he had a conflict of interest, Mr. Wright, he 
still wrote a memo saying based on the video I reviewed and all the re, uh, uh, information he reviewed in his office that there was no probable cause to arrest this murderous duo, which just flies in the face of all common sense with us because we know they arrest black people every day with far less evidence, never having a video, but they find probable cause to arrest us. Then the third DA, uh, a white DA named Durden, he came and he said, well, we can't arrest them until we impanel a grand jury. Well, unfortunately, because of the coronavirus epidemic, Georgia courts are closed at least until June 12th, but we now understand that has been delayed. And so finally, we got a uh, district attorney of Cobb County, Georgia, which is in the outskirts of Atlanta, an African-American female named Joyette Holmes. Uh, she's a Republican, but she was assigned by Governor Kemp to take over the prosecution of the Ahmaud Aubrey case. And that's where we stand at this point, still waiting to see what is going to happen next because at every step they have tried to sweep it under the rug, assassinate Amar's character, and defend the murderers in this lynch mob for killing him. I want to see if uh, my co-host, Haywood Evans, has a question or a comment. Well, I guess not. So, uh... So what's what's the next step? I understand that you are you are you going to be uh, I guess you'll be surrounded by the media with this Louisville uh, police chief retiring. Mm-hmm. That's a nice way of saying it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he was obviously forced out because there were so many policies and procedures that were violated in the execution of this uh, no knock search warrant. And I will say this. In closing, I have a unique perspective as an attorney in the Maude Aubrey case and as an attorney in the Breonna Taylor case. I mean, these cases happen within 10 days, uh, 10 to 20 days of each other, Maude February 23rd and Breonna March 13th, uh, 2020. And when you think about it, Mr. Rye, when you think about it, Haywood, you, I have never seen such a vivid distinction between self-defense and black and white. When you think about the killers of Ahmaud Aubrey, they came and after they executed Ahmaud in broad daylight, and it's captured on video, when the police came and uh, encountered them, they said self-defense and the police did not arrest them let them leave and go home and sleep in their beds for 10 weeks over 10 weeks in peace now think about kenny walker this brother who was trying to defend his castle trying to defend his woman and trying to defend their lives when the police busted in their front door in the middle of the night as they slept and they didn't know who these people were, thought they were burglarizing his home. They encountered him after they executed his uh, love and 
he said self-defense. I thought you all were burglars. We thought you all were home invaders. The police arrested him, put him in jail. They charged him with attempted murder, and now he's facing life in prison. Never, ever have I seen such a vivid distinction of self-defense in black and white in America than these two cases. But it's uh, it's just amazing, and you know, no telling what was happening when we're not where there are not any videos, and now uh, that's why I really support all police. They take any action; they should have body cameras on. And you know, we Seattle Police Department was under consent decree, and now we see where uh, there's an attempt right now being made to lift that. And when you keep seeing situations like what happened in other places, like in Louisville and like in Georgia. And is this really the time to do it? And then, with you know, this compounded with the Louisville police chief, uh, you know, conveniently retiring in the middle of this mess, where his officers were out of out of control, really. Uh, you know, we had a, a recently Attorney James Bible in the city of Seattle uh, had just uh, settled a civil suit uh, uh, in uh, south of Seattle in Des Moines, Washington, uh, right by the airport. Uh, these uh, sheriffs, the King County Sheriff's officers, put up a sting and uh, was trying to get revenge on a young brother because they assumed that he had ran over one of the, another police officer's son. So they set him up and shoot this young man, uh, a stellar young man, in the back. And they just resolved that for $2.25 uh, $2. million. So as far as I'm concerned, with all the things happening with the police right now, now is not the time to, to lift any consent decrees anywhere. Uh, unless Attorney Benjamin Crump said that they can do it. I think you have the best <laughs> well, handle on that in terms of assessing who's ready to have a consent decree to be lifted and who's not. Exactly. And, Mr. Rob, we're together. We have to be vigilant and watching them to make sure they don't keep uh, exercising open season on us and the African-American community. Because it seems like now that the country is opening back up, it is business as usual in America when it comes to using excessive force and deadly force against people of color. So I thank you so much, Mr. Rye, for always staying on top of these matters and uh, using your platform to speak truth to power. So, so I just want to say what what is next in both of the cases with Brianna uh, uh, Taylor, and also with uh, Ahmaud Arbery. What are the next steps in that? Uh, the next steps, as I understand it, is going to be that we have to keep, stay on Ahmaud Arbery. This, this federal uh, justice department having this parallel prosecution, kind of like we did in Walter Scott. You remember the brother running away on video who got shot in the back, and yeah. they had a hung jury on the state level, but then it was the federal case that he had to uh, plead to the 20 years because he could not uh, risk it twice. We want parallel uh, prosecutions going also in a Maude Arbery case. As it relates to Breonna Taylor, we got to keep calling the Louisville Kentucky mayor and demanding that these officers are terminated and they are charged 
for the killing of Breonna Taylor in the sanctity of her own home. So we got a ways to go still with this sister, and we got to keep saying her name, uh, Breonna Taylor, because her life mattered too. Black women lives matter too. Absolutely. Now with uh, the Louisville uh, police chief return, that sends a, that's a, that sends a, another signal up. Uh, he doesn't want to be around when uh, the feds and everybody else get involved in this Breonna Taylor killing. Yeah, I see it as a, an admission. They know that they violated policies and procedures, and this innocent black woman who has so much potential at 26 years old it has been executed. And uh, for our listeners, why don't you run down the, the, the cases like from Trayvon Martin, run down the cases, you just briefly run down the cases that you've been involved with. Certainly. Police uh, obviously, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, uh, the 13 women who were raped in Oklahoma City by the police officer. Miss Janie Liggins was the real hero that saw that officer get sentenced and uh, convicted and sentenced to 263 years in prison. Uh, one of the few times when police officers did bad things to black people that they actually was held accountable and uh, sentenced to the full extent of the law. Uh, in recent cases, the reason I'm so optimistic about uh, Ahmaud Aubrey as well as Breonna Taylor is the recent successes, uh, the recent convictions uh, in the last three high-profile cases I've had, whether that was Corey Jones and Palm Beach, Florida, who was the church drummer, broke down on the side of the road, and right. uh, a police officer undercover in a white cargo van pulls up at 3 in the morning and kills him and tries to lie about it. But because the tow truck company was on the phone with him and it was all recorded, he was caught in his lies, and an all-white jury convicted that police officer and sentenced him to 25 years in prison, the first time in over 35 years that a police officer had been convicted of killing a black person in the state of Florida. And then Marquise McGlockton, um, you all may remember seeing that tragic video where another white man was trying to impose his will on black people, make them obey him. He alleged they parked in a handicapped parking spot, and therefore, it was uh, this video where he killed him in front of his three young children, his five-year-old son, his three-year-old daughter, his one-year-old child, and his baby mother. And what was so hard about that video was the fact that as he, after he got shot, he stumbled back into the convenience store. His son was waiting at the door of the convenience store, reaching out to his daddy. His daddy fell at his feet. And that's the last time he saw his father alive on this earth. It was an all-white jury in Clearwater, Pinellas County, Florida, near Tampa, that convicted him and rejected his stand-your-ground uh, argument and sentenced him to 25 years in prison. And then, obviously, we all remember Amber Geiger, the white policewoman in Dallas, Texas, who allegedly went into the wrong apartment and killed Botham Jones as he was uh, minding his business. Where, and she tried to claim self-defense and the castle doctrine that says you can protect your castle 
even though Mr. Wright, it was just asinine because it wasn't her castle. It was Botham Jones' castle, and the jury rejected her self-defense arguments, and she was convicted, uh, becoming the first policewoman in America to be convicted uh, for first-degree murder for killing a black person. And Okay, well, well Attorney Crump, I know you have a 5.30 that you need to prepare for, plus oh, you are yeah. surrounded with the media now around your office because the Louisville police chief has re- re- retired conveniently. So I just want to thank you for your time today, my brother. Thank you for all the work you're doing, getting justice for the people, because we definitely need a drum major for justice, and you've been doing that. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Uncle Eddie Wright. We love you, and we thank you for always using your voice for the people. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, then. We're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, NAACP leader, Jerry, uh, right after this uh, next this message. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150kknw. Okay, uh, Eddie Ryan, hey, whatever's back. Our next guest is uh, Gerald Lenoir. I mean, Gerald and Gerald Hankerson. I had Lenoir on the mind. President of the Alaska, Oregon, Washington State Area Conferences and uh, the NAACP. And Gerald has been busy, busy, busy trying to get people to the polls. So, Mr. President, how you doing, first of all? I'm blessed and highly favored, my brother. Thank you for asking. I'm glad to hear that because you're needed to be in this battle and lead the way uh, to equality and equity for the people. So uh, I understand you're undertaking a major endeavor right now. Why don't you share with our listeners exactly what that is, President Hankerson? 
Yeah, thank you for that, Eddie. You know, what we're introducing on June 1st, we're going to kick off our GOTV Get Out the Vote campaign 2020. Now, we're understanding that all of us are living under stay-at-home orders and all these other things that got us all suppressed inside of our communities. And as you see what's going on around the country, there's a huge effort for voter suppression trying to prohibit folks from being able to vote, which is part of what we think they use it, the pandemic is about. So we call it the power of five. And all we require is every voter to register five people a week to vote, volunteer five days between now and the election, and text five mail-in ballot reminders to five voters every week to make sure that this we're about to undergo a historical election in this country, change the direction of this country, and we cannot allow coronavirus or COVID-19 prevent us from showing up at the polls where uh, we're going to be able to utilize our power. So we're calling on everyone to take the challenge, the Power of Five challenge for the NWCP, and take advantage of this new generation of new ways of getting people registered to vote because we cannot afford for folks to not vote this year. And uh, does this information, is it being circulated? Can you share with our listeners where they can access this, uh, uh, what is it, Get Five to Vote? What do you call it? Yeah, we call it the Power of Five. You can find it on NAACP, Alaska, Oregon, and Washington State org, our website, and you'll see all the voter registration materials. We call it the Power of Five. If each person take on three issues and you, five, you just register five people to vote each week, Five people should volunteer five hours between now and Election Day and do text reminders uh, five times or five people a week. We feel that people don't have to use just because we can't go out here in Washington State. We do mail-in ballots, but we also do get out the vote, the register folks to vote, because we know traditionally that there's a huge opportunity for voter suppression if we don't show up. So we call it the power of five. You don't have to leave your home. You can register folks to vote and be responsible for every five people. We're going to be able to make a national historic election this year with the majority of folks showing up at the polls, making sure we vote. You know, traditionally, well, I want to you know, see if, folks if my co-host would ever have a question or comment. Sure. Well, Gerald, you know, it's good, it's good hearing your voice, brother. You've been Thank out you, there on the front line for the people for so darn long. Very, very proud of you and so glad you're a resource in our community. Uh, on that note, now you know the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee is also doing an art contest we have coming up that's kicking off in June. And if we can somehow pull the two campaigns together, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But uh, from that perspective, how do people get in touch with you or in touch with the organization in order to make sure that they're able to volunteer? Right now, uh, on our website, the NAACP Alaska Oregon and Washington, on our website, we have a, you could say, I take the challenge. You can submit your information, your email address, your name and cell phone number, and our coordinator will reach out to you in taking the challenge. And I definitely agree with the idea that everyone can do something. We can't just sit at homes and not do nothing to make sure we can register the folks to vote. So the NAACP is willing to join anybody's campaign to make sure that we register as many people we can to show up at the polls. So we definitely open to work with other organizations that specifically toward the same goal because we cannot afford to let another election slip away because we could not allow the vote or the opportunity to vote. So we are not going to let the system deprive us again because all of us is blaming it on COVID-19. We got to make sure that we do everything in our power to make sure folks register to vote because that is your most fundamental right and we cannot afford to lose that right Obviously, see what happened in the last four years ago. We didn't show up at the polls. Look what we got. We can't afford to do that again. 
That's very yeah, true. we should not go right ahead here. No, we cannot afford number forty five again. And you know, from that perspective, we're gonna be asking the NAACP to support a new census category. And that's uh African descendants of the United States enslaved. What do you think? Well, you kind of caught me off guard by putting on the spot. I think I would like to have a little bit more understanding of that before I give any opinion about it. Explain it to me. Uh, but right well, now, I'll I go know into, that the I'll go into detail found... with you on it, brother. <laughs> we're just talking about people recognizing the folks who's been here for 400 years. That's essentially what we're talking about, and making oh. sure that people understand, you know, what our contributions have been. But hey, I want to. We want to get you back probably next week. We had a few difficulties in the cut in on your time, sir, which I really apologize for. So, uh, but we're gonna have you back on because we. This is very important to have our people engaged in the political process, and to have the NAACP leading the way. And I like the idea of getting, reaching out to engage others because sometimes people in their own house, uh, in their own household, have people who are not registered to vote. So, uh, right. Gerald, I want to thank you very, very much. We really appreciate uh, all the work you've been doing. So, uh, but we want to keep you on the air and keep you so you can keep our listeners posted on the success of this uh, uh, the five vote and also. Uh, uh, the other outreach and stuff that you guys are doing, especially with criminal justice. I want to go into more detail with you on another program about uh, Seattle trying to have the consent decree removed out the Seattle Police Department. So uh, thank you very much, man. We certainly appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you, my brothers. Be well. Thank you, Joe. Okay. Right. So uh, uh, do we have uh, Chairman Lau Kwasim on? Okay, well then let's go ahead and uh, I think he was tied up with uh, uh, with a an, another event, so uh, I will try to shoot him a text. In the meantime, Hayward, you had mentioned uh, the art contest is being sponsored by the MLK Commemoration Committee. Why don't you take a couple of minutes while we hook Lyle up and go into that? Yeah, you know the, the beauty of this art contest. We know everybody has social distancing right now, and the fact is, if young people were at home or even adults for that matter. This is an opportunity to truly express how you feel. The theme for this year's event, this year's art program, is um, your vision of unity. What is community unity? What does it mean to you? It can be reflected in so many ways. It can be reflected through photography. It can be reflected through uh, a, a, a scripted art. It can be re reflected in literature. We want all forms of art represented in music, but something that talks about community unity, the value of unity and your vision of unity. And so we'll, we'll, go, really, we'll go into more details later. We do have Lyle Kwasim on now, and he was in a meeting. He stepped out to get, join us. So, uh, 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 Chairman Kwasim, are you on? Hello, this is Lyle Kwasim. Okay, hey, whatever. It's Eddie Ryan, co-host of Urban Forum Northwest. So, uh, uh, Brother Lyle, first of all, congratulations for heading up an organization in Tacoma, the Tacoma Pierce County Black Collective. Uh, that's 50 years old. I lied and said it was 53. Somebody said, man, it's 50 years old. But they meet at the Colored Women's Club when there's not a coronavirus out every Saturday morning at 8.30, and the meeting's over at 10. The organization has had uh, three mayors, black mayors, come out, including the current mayor, Victoria Woodards, uh, city council members, school board members. The Pointer Sisters' brother, Aaron Pointer, is on the, the uh, Tacoma Park Commission. So you guys have been doing an outstanding job, a good model for the black communities across the country. So
So why don't you share with us a little bit about the history of, uh, of the, the book collective, sir? Uh, this is uh, actually the 51st year. So it's okay. not the 50th, it's not the 53rd, it's the 51st year. And uh, um, March of um, this year, the second week in March, was the first uh, Saturday that we had not met during the entire uh, lifetime of our organization. Uh, we work on four areas, uh, education, politics, uh, social justice and economic development. Uh, we are a uh, organization that is uh, uh, not built on hierarchy. We have people who have PhDs sitting next to people with GEDs. Uh, we have um, uh, uh, doctors with uh, uh, people who uh, clean the office. Um, it is um, bring your time, your talent, your best ability to the um, to to the engagement. And the best idea leaves the table. It doesn't make any difference who the idea it was. And that's, that's great. Now, right now, uh, you have a significant number of elected officials uh, in the collective. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, give us, uh, 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 share with our listeners some of the success stories of the collective. What have you guys been able to accomplish? Well, you know, we have, we have been an incubator. Uh, in the collective, and we have been a place where uh, several things can happen from a political perspective. First of all, uh, you can get experience on um, running campaigns. Uh, one of the things that happens when a lot of uh, people of color decide to run for office, um, they don't have a coterie of people around them that have experience in um, uh, managing and running and organizing campaigns. You can get that experience. We've had several people who were managing and running campaigns who then decided to run for office. Uh, Keith Blocker uh, is uh, one of those individuals. Keith Blocker is currently a city councilman uh, in, for the Tacoma uh, uh, City, for the city of Tacoma. This is his second term. He just entered his, his second four-year term. But he started off as a consultant uh, working on other people's campaigns. The second thing can happen is you can see success within the collective. Quite often, we don't have models of success. Why would I try to run for something that I've never seen anybody else do, or when they did it, they did they weren't successful? So you can see models of success at the Black Collective. And the third, and I think the most important, most of the folks, whether they've been judges, uh, Judge Frank Cusperson, who just retired after 20 years on the bench, uh, was a member of the Black Collective before he went to law school. And one of the things that you can see is that these elected officials uh, continue to come back and be part of the body politic in such a way that is accessible, that is um, um, uh, sometimes entertaining, uh, but always a learning experience for all of the other people uh, at the Black Collective. So, uh in terms of now, there have been three uh, black mayors in Tacoma. Harold Moss mm -hmm. was the first, and then Marilyn Strickland, and then Victoria Woodard uh, succeeded her. So, that's uh, to me, that says uh, something quite significant. And 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 um, you know, here's here's what I think is really important about uh, those three individuals. Uh, they came uh, with an agenda that was germane to the black community, but they were also able to uh, have enough elasticity in their political uh, uh, portfolio 
to them for them to um, appeal to the city of Tacoma at large. And when those individuals got in the office, the people saw clearly that they're able to helm the black agenda and the and the majority agenda for the citizens of Tacoma. Uh, they, um, both Victoria and um, and Marilyn Strickland, I should say, both Mayor Woodage and Mayor Strickland, <laughs> who were both reelected. Uh, uh, you have a two-term uh, limit in the city of Tacoma. Uh, Harold Moss uh, did not uh, run for, and it, well, he did run for an additional term, was not elected, but was then elected to the Pierce County Council, in which he became the chair of the Pierce County Council. And, you know, it is, it is um, sometimes by luck and sometimes by design and sometimes by both. When I became the chief of staff for the Pierce County Executive, Harold was uh, Mayor Moss was then um, on the uh, Pierce County Council, and uh, he helped uh, me in numerous ways, uh, guide through the difficulties of the legislative branch of Pierce County's government as I assisted and was a, was the chief of staff for the Pierce County Executive. So I mean, this is this is this is what happens when you have people who have longevity, who stay in the system, who participate. Who don't get bigger than uh, the, the 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 system that they're in, and they never leave their constituency. Yeah, we definitely have seen that. And allow you also have served two governors, secretary of the Department of Social and Health Services. You've been the president of Bates uh, Technical College in Tacoma, and you have a resume and a half. As a matter of fact, that's why on Facebook I put up that black uh, blackpass.org article that, uh, right. that that where you were featured because I want people to, to, to read about it and know who you are. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the members, uh, they are being as a teleconference now on Saturday morning as opposed to the actual meetings at, at 8.30 at the Colored Women's Club, right? That That is right. Because of the COVID experience, the pandemic, which has impacted all of us uh, in, in so many ways, um, one of the things that we do now is that we meet um, uh, uh, virtually, um, and uh, we have um, uh, significant attendance. There are about uh, 60 people on our on our virtual uh, uh, meeting site uh, for the last three Saturdays. Uh, and you know we'll be meeting virtually until we figure out the way forward. There's a design team that has been empowered to look at how the Black Collective can uh, operate moving forward. Um, but I just want to say one thing very quickly, Eddie. I'm not sure how much time I have, but you, you talk about having been appointed by uh, uh, two governors, served on two governors' cabinets. You know, I think the thing that we all have to remember is that whether we get elected to a position or appointed to a position, that we still have certain uh, principles and standards that we will not compromise. Most people don't talk about the fact that I got fired by one of the governors when I was state mental health director. And I was fired by that governor because I would not compromise the principles that I had developed through the Black Collective and through my years uh, in the civil rights movement. And no job is worth one's personal dignity or, or compromising one's values. And that's something I learned uh, in the Black Collective. And when we send elected officials to office, uh, they take their values with them. 
they deal, you know, I understand that politics is the art of the possible and we do what we need to do, but they will not compromise on their core values. And I think that is what is most important about how we uh, pursue the uh, political agenda uh, in the black collective. Well, Mr. Chairman, we need about a half an hour for you to go through uh, all the stuff that you've been dealing with. And, and we not didn't get to the safe streets and stuff like that. We have limited time today, but we definitely want to have you back on and keep us updated since so many things happen virtually now and there's not that person-to-person contact or uh, being at church or passing on whatever happened at the Black Collective. So I want to thank you today, brother. And uh, when you get enough time, we need about a half an hour for you to go through uh, your membership in the Black Panther Party and everything else you've done. So thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. We appreciate you. And we're very proud of you, uh, Eddie, and we're proud of the work that you're doing at the Black Collective. Thank you very much. Okay, sir. Thank you. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and come back with Tamika Mosley and her guest after the break. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk 1150. Mr. Eddie back at Urban Forum Northwest, and uh, Eric is on, on the boards playing the good music. Our next guest is Tamika Mosley, who is an herbalist, and she uh, does some outstanding work in the community, alternative medicine, and uh, I'll leave that alone. Tamika, why don't you go ahead and take a couple of minutes and introduce yourself once again to our listeners. We have about nine minutes, because I know you want to get Karen on as well, so you can go ahead and do that whenever you get ready. Okay, thank you, Eddie, so much. Yes, my name is Tamika Mosley, and I'm an herbalist. I'm the founder of Everything Health, and my sole purpose on this earth is just to educate people on how we just simply do not have to suffer. We do not have to die. When we learn to put the right things in the body and the right doses to put into the body, then the body will start to heal. So 
I want to go ahead and introduce my client because that's the most important right now. We are living in a time where people are just so scared. They're so fearful. I mean, it, 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 you, you see policemen body slamming people in stores because they're not wearing masks. So, you know, there's so many African-Americans who, who's passing away, who's dying from this coronavirus. So Karen is going to tell her story. She was tested positive for uh, COVID-19. So, Karen, you can go ahead and, and, uh, and take it away. All right. My name is Karen Talby. Um, I actually was diagnosed with the coronavirus on May 6th, and a lifelong family friend of mine introduced me to Tamika, which dramatically changed my life. Um, I was suffering from excruciating lower back pain from the virus. Um, I could no longer speak because my throat was almost closed up. I was suffering horribly. She got me in contact with Tamika, and she put me on a regimen. Um, it seemed like a lot at first, but I'm here to tell you that taking all of these supplements, literally the next day, I felt my symptoms relieved. It took about three to four days, and I completely had no symptoms. I went and retested on the 13th, and I was coronavirus-free. So I just want everybody, you know, to know or those who are skeptical about herbalists or taking supplements and just trying to learn how much they should take, that it's really worth the investment. And I'm a witness to say that it was an amazing experience for me. And I'm just truly grateful for Tamika and all of the help that she's provided. Thank you so much, Karen. Uh, any questions, Eddie, or you want me to keep talking? <laughs> <laughs> Tamika, I was just trying to figure out for our listening audience, how long was the duration of uh, of a recovery period? Okay, so when I when I contacted or, or got in touch with uh, Karen, I think she had already had the virus for five days, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know it's it's like oh my gosh, you know I started panicking because people go home and they die from this 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 thing in, in like two or three days. So I started her on the regimen. And she took it aggressively um, about four days, four days. And, mm-hmm. and, and as I've been on your show before and the things I still talk about and what they're talking about when you have a low immune system, so she was just taking the probiotics and her natural antibiotics, you know, oregano, reishi, vitamin C, all these things will boost the immune system like they're talking about. So when we boost the immune system and, and boost our gut, the virus cannot live in an alkaline environment. It cannot survive. So, uh, so she just did the regimen for four days, and it was just taking oregano, ginger, vitamin C, probiotics, and you're just doing it every three hours. You know, you got to be aggressive with it. You can't take one and two, but just a very aggressive res- uh, regimen, detoxing her body, taking detox baths, and she just did this for four days. Went back and got tested, and she got her results. They're negative. And I have four more people that I have reversed coronavirus. So I just, I just want, I'm, I'm doing a, a webinar, a free Zoom webinar this Saturday where I'm going to come on and I'm going to educate African-Americans because we are taking the lead. It's just so many African-Americans are dying from this disease. And I want us to understand why we're dying. And it's because not we're living in low-income areas and we have... Uh, not good food, but it's because of the underlying conditions such as diabetes, hypertension, arthritis, you know, all these things that we're dealing with, heart disease, the medications these people are taking, 
the side effects in these medications already compromise your immune system. Now, they'll never tell you that, but all you got to do is look at the side effects. It compromises your immune system. And then on top of that, black people don't know to take a vitamin D3. We get D from the sun, but because we have melanin in our skin, we don't get it. When the coronavirus gets into the body, it's going to attack your respiratory. It's going to shut your D3 down. If we don't have D in our body, we're dead. Doctors know if you're deficient in D3, they will immediately put you on 50,000 IUs per week. We cannot walk around without D3 inside of our body. And the last thing, when we're taking D3. Evans has a question or comment. Uh, I I love what you're saying. And uh, within my family, we've even experienced a family member with the the COVID virus. Um, So how do people, can they access it over the Internet? How can they find out the formulas that you're putting together? Because what you're saying is absolutely fantastic. Interestingly, the CDC hasn't said anything about this. And then even number 45, taking that other little drug that he talks about over the uh, television. Right. Exactly. So, so, so what I'm doing, uh, I'm, 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 people can reach me on my, on my website. I have consultations set up for the coronavirus, $40, four zero. I mean, four zero, that's it, $40. But I consult with people. I can work with people. I help people. I guide them through the whole process. They can definitely reach out to me. Like I said, I'm doing a webinar this Saturday. Eddie has the information. It's a free Zoom webinar, and I'm talking everything, everything corona, I'm talking about what I do, what I give, how much you take, if you get it, what to do. You know, I'm talking about prevention, what we need to be doing right now. Because I'm going to tell you right now, we can wear all the masks. I don't wear a mask, but, we, but people can wear all the masks and gloves they want to. But if their immune system is weak and they don't have any good bacteria inside of their gut, that mask is not going to stop corona from getting into their body and taking them down. So we need to learn the truth. And the CDC is not going to say anything. We'll be waiting around forever for that because you know that, that that's not what they promote. They don't promote natural herbs. That's not what they do. They're in the business of pharmaceuticals. Well, no, from, from that perspective, you're absolutely right. And I think $40 is a, is a small <laughs> investment for a person's uh, physical health. Now, do you have other activities going on here within the community right now? You know, uh, I'm doing more things outside of Seattle because, you know, people are just, you know, like. Yeah, to, to me, we know, have about one minute not, left. Okay, people are not welcome, but I've been doing a lot of work with uh, Brother uh, Larry Burrell at Parkview Drive Church of Christ in Monroe, Louisiana. He has a home health care business. I've educated his home health care business. I've educated his church, the members. I'm helping his members, but we need more people to stand up and, you know, stop being scared. So thank you guys very much. I want everybody to know you don't have to die from this thing. We can definitely beat it. Now, now where's your webinar? Let us know that and your contact information before we go. Okay, yes. Yeah. So the webinar, just you, they can contact me. You can reach me at uh, Tamika Mosley, T-A-M-I-K-A, last name Mosley, M-O-S-E-L-E-Y, at hotmail.com. My website is ssnaturalhealing.com. You can please reach out to me, and I can send you the information for that webinar. But it's this Saturday at 1 p.m. PST time. 
Okay, Karen, I want to thank you for sharing your story. You. And Tamika, thank you for all the work you're doing. And we'll have you on regularly because you have uh, offer us an alternative. And you have proof now with your clients getting well. So thank you all both very, very much. Thank, thank you so much, Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, before we go, I want to let everybody know that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit Small Business Development Labor Compliance Office, the City of Sales Purchasing and Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Concourse Concessions, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, Stephanie Ogle does our technology, and Haywood will have some more information about uh, the uh, statewide art contest, and I'd like to hear from anybody that would be interested in being a judge. Eddie Rye at 206-786-2763 or at E-R-Y-E at Comcast.net if you're interested in participating and being a judge. We'll make sure that he would have something posted on Facebook with all the instructions. So once again, want to thank my guests very much and thank my co-host, Hayward Evans. Uh, we had a few technical difficulties, but we'll get that squared away. And thank you, Eric, and we'll be talking with you all again next week. We're trying to have Senator Kamala Harris on for next week. So I'll let folks know. I'll have it posted on my Facebook page, and you'll know if she'll be on. So thank you very much. Stay safe. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com.